Acts chapter 13, verse 36, will be our scripture verse for today. Acts 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. There are certain parts of the scripture that present such a richness that we have to stand back and marvel at what the writer says. Right in the middle of a very lengthy text of scripture where Paul is expounding on this very big idea that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the sure mercies to David or promises made to David, the writer gives us this verse and it should cause all of us to marvel at it. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. This does verse does not find its fulfillment in David. We had the joy of expounding this last week on Easter Sunday. We talked about the resurrection and we learned that the Holy One that would not see corruption was not David. It was Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 16. He is the greater Son of David, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose body did not see corruption because He was brought forth from the grave. So as Paul is making this point of Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of the sure mercies and promises to David, Paul makes this statement in his sermon. In the overall passage now, this is not the main idea of the text. It is simply part of what Paul is using to prove who Jesus Christ is. David, we know, died and was buried and his body saw corruption. But Psalm 16 speaks of someone else. And even though verse, in verse 36, the big idea of all of that is Jesus Christ fulfilling uh, what was promised to David, needless to say, we cannot ignore uh, an incredible verse like verse 36. So remember, I told you last week in preaching this, I read across verse 36 and I said, you know what, that's a sermon that we all need to think about. And I would suggest to you that this is a profound truth that has profound implications to everyone under the sound of my voice. Let's say first that it is a sermon for our younger generation. As young people, you are entering a critical part of your lives. You are looking... Uh, Toward your future, uh, you do understand that adulthood makes up most of your life. We all feel that, don't we? And when you're a child, and some of you are going past that, even as I speak to you, you uh, are entering into a chapter of your life that's going to be the bulk of the remainder of your life. Your childhood is just a blip on the screen, isn't it? I can remember when I was sitting in Bowman Baptist Church and hearing preachers say something similar to that. You know, days pass by and you're, you're a kid and the next thing you know you're married, you got children, and if you're like me, you got grandbabies, right? In just a few years it seems like. 
But the text is extremely relevant for our younger generation who is interested in being more than just a typical teenager or adult that wastes their lives. God is asking you to be more than typical or ordinary as you hear this sermon, right? I sure hope that if you're a young person today, you desperately want to do something with your life that is beyond the ordinary, a life beyond the typical, beyond the self-centered, self-absorbed life that marks our culture. This passage speaks to this. It also speaks to the old. You just thought you were off the hook, right? It is for any man or woman who is interested, regardless of your age, in doing something with your life other than wasting it. When we come to realize that we only have a certain number of days this side of heaven, a certain number of hours appointed to us, you don't want to waste your life. We only have one life to live, and this life soon will pass. And only what's done for Christ is going to last. It's not meant to be spent on doing your own thing or pleasing yourself. So if you're an older person today, and you've already come to this realization, then this text is for you as well. And if you haven't come to this realization, I pray that the Word of God will affect change in your life. Now, this is going to be really simple. I didn't say short, but I did say simple. It's going to be simple. Here's the first thing I want you to think about. We are called to serve the purpose of God in our generation. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Paul said that David served the purpose of God. Now, there are a couple of words used in the New Testament to describe what it means to serve. One word for service finds its origin in the Old Testament brought over to the New, and it has a a nobility to it, like a ministering priestly type of connotation to the word. That's not the word that Paul uses here. There's another word where we get our noun, diakonos, which is a... Praise the Lord, one person knew. That's where you get our English word deacon, is to serve. And that's the ordinary service spoken of in the word of God. We think of this in the realm of what a deacon is. They take care of... Or they're supposed to. It's not true in a lot of Baptist churches, unfortunately. But they're called by God to serve. It's the waiting on the table type of service. But there's also another word that Paul uses in the Bible. And that's the one he uses here. The exact word used by Paul to describe David serving the Lord is where we get the understanding of an under rower in a ship. Now there's some obvious implications to that, right? How many of you have ever watched a ship go down through uh, sailing or in the ocean and you see the rows outside rowing, the rowers, but you never see them, do you? Well, they're, they're down low in there and they're, they're, perf- they're performing a menial task. Now, the reason Paul uses the word in his sermon or Luke uses it as he records the sermon is not to say that this is a demeaning thing. That we're saying, well, since it's a menial task, it's the lowest form of service. But, but it's highlighting the menial part so that you understand that David was the helper and God was the superior. Amen. Is everybody listening? God is the superior. David, no matter how much we think of his regal royalty and his nobility, he was the greatest king in all of Israel's history. Humanly speaking, right? The greatest king was his greater son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. But we should think about this. Paul uses the same noun form in 1 Corinthians 4.1 when he says, This is how one should regard us, see it on the board, as servants, bang, noun form, of Christ under rowers and servants under rowers of the mysteries of God. Paul says that David served. David performed a menial task of assisting and helping his superior, which, the Lord, which was the Lord God Almighty. What did David do? Or when did David do that? We might say, well, he's the king. Well, here's the answer. David did that in all the stages of his life. When, uh, whether David was a teenager, uh, a shepherd boy, used to sing a song when I was younger called Shepherd Boy. I can't reach it anymore. I used to have that effeminate type voice like David. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but that was just fun. You know, I don't know. But I could sing that song, when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Have you ever, y'all remember that? So when David was a teenager and he was attending flocks by night in the Palestinian desert, he was serving the purpose of God, even as a teenager. When he was fighting the Philistines, especially Goliath, he was serving the purpose of God. When he was seated on Israel's throne, in that kind of position, he was yet and still uh, an unworthy servant serving a superior God. Jesus would say, and why would he say this? Because the greater son of David epitomized what it meant to be a servant. And here's what Jesus said. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20, 28. This is David. The greatest of Israel's kings, with all that regal royalty and nobility and honor that was attached to David's name, and at the end of the day, David was nothing more than an unworthy servant of the Most High King. That's who David was. He was in the same station whether he was chasing a runaway lamb or whether he was making decisions of justice and administrating the most powerful country or kingdom that ever existed on the face of the earth. He was still... A servant of the Lord. I think this is a reminder to everybody in this building that when God saves you, He saves you to serve. Amen. I'm glad I heard some amens and I didn't have to say, come on folks, right? When God comes to us in power and He opens our eyes and changes our hearts and pulls us out of the miry clay and washes our sins away and Puts the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Washes us in the blood of His Son. Puts His Spirit in us. He doesn't save you to pump up your self-esteem. He saves you to serve the King. That's why God saved you. He saved you in order to make you a servant. When you're in a lost state, you have one desire. And that bent is to want others to serve you. Let's be honest, if some of you have been saved recently, you could have testified to this fact that, hey, that's the way I lived my life. Uh, I didn't put others first unless I wanted others to serve me and my agenda. When God saves you, the goal was to make God superior over you, not for you to be superior and make everyone else be your attendants. The fact is, God saves you so that you serve 
the unregenerate lost world lives like the previous statement where they look at everybody to figure out how the world can serve them. Other people doing what you want them to do, I guess, gives us a measure of happiness. And that begins to be the the measure of all of your life. How can people please you? But when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that changes. There is a radical paradigm shift in your mind and your heart. And you move from wanting the entire world to serve you to you understanding you belong to a king. And you've been called by God. Why? Because he's the superior. He's God. And he asks you to serve him. So you are no longer one serving yourself. You're now serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't look around at people as a means to an end to get your agenda accomplished. But you look around at other people and you wonder, how can I serve them and love them and advance the kingdom of God in that individual's life? The transforming power of the grace of Jesus Christ at work in your life transforms you into a servant. God saved me when I was nine years of age. Nobody had to tell me to serve God. And this bothers me today. I have to be honest. I'm adjusting because I'm going to start meddling in your affairs. But it bothers me today when people say they come to faith in Jesus, but they never serve God. Folks, that's impossible. When you are saved, you are saved to serve. If you don't have any desire whatsoever in your life to serve the King, folks, I'm telling you, there's no way you know the Lord. If you don't have a desire to serve the king, if you don't have a desire that comes to you, no one ever had to tell me that. Now, I fell on my face so many times, my nose has a permanent upturn, right? And you have too. But the fact is, deep down inside, there's a bent. It's, it's changed in your life to everything being around your own life and what you can accomplish in your pleasures, but something changes, The the desire to serve the king is inextricably linked with your conversion. When God saves you, he puts within your heart the desire to serve him. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to... Say it. What is turning to God from idols? Conversion. What is serving? inextricably connected to conversion. When they turned to God from idols, there was a separation from the past. Praise God, right? But there's a consecration to the future and the present when you're called by God to serve Him. So the Bible says, have you had enough of that? That's the word serve. Next, it says the purpose of God. Again, there are several different words used in the Greek to explain what purpose or counsel or plan of God is. This particular word is the one found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 33. Peter uses it. Listen to the word. Being therefore exalted. No, that's not the right verse. I said 233, but I'm off. Okay, it's verse 23. I'm sorry. 223. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified And you killed by the hands of lawless men. See that definite plan? Whereas Romans and Jews were morally culpable for crucifying Jesus, the Bible says that ultimately God crucified the Son. And it was according to the definite plan of God. That's the exact Greek word used when we're understanding that we serve the purpose of God. There's a 
passage that sounds almost exactly like this, found in Ephesians 1.11. It's on the board. Well, not yet, but it's coming up. There you go. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's the word used here. It is the sovereign will of God. Y'all know that God has a sovereign will. And again, when you get saved, that becomes the, the, the thing that's in the top of your mind. Not your will, but God's sovereign will is what I want to, be, want to accomplish in my life. So what are we doing? We are serving as under rowers to a superior, knowing full well that God has a sovereign will. And we want to be part of what that will is. We want to be submitted to what God is doing. Peter will use this, this term here. And so the very fabric of our lives is for us to serve the purpose of God. Now, question. What is the ultimate purpose of God? If you're in my new members class right now, scream it out there. What is the ultimate purpose of our existence as a church? To glorify God. Bang, there it is. And so what is God most committed to? Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You're going to find out that God is most committed to His own glory. Right? He is committed to that particular purpose. So the very fabric of my life should be, as I'm serving the Lord, God, how can I glorify you most? Is this making sense? How can I glorify you? Let me show you. Titus chapter 2. Boy, this, it ties it together so incredibly well. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing, unto, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself. Why did He save you? To purify a people for Himself, a possession who are zealous for good works. God saved you in the end to bring Him glory, folks. Why did the redemptive act even, this awesome redemptive act planned by God, executed by the Lord Jesus Christ, was for God to save a people of His own, His own possession, so that we would belong to Him. And the glory of all of that is, how is that extended? How is His glory extended into the world? It's extended... By you showing and telling the grace of God in salvation. For the grace of God has appeared. Folks, the reason it, uh, the extension of the grace of God having appeared is the fact that you're going to show it and you're going to tell it to the world. That God gives grace. God saves by grace through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. So we live it out by telling it, showing it. This is what God is doing in the world for the nations. He is making His grace known so that it rebounds to His glory. That's why He sent the Son into the earth. And so the same holds true for you and me. You should know that one of my favorite texts is Ephesians 2, 8-10. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Baptists love to forget verse 10. But what does it say? For we are His workmanship. Poem is a Greek word. You're God's work of art. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. He's already planned it from the foundation of the world, the good works that you're supposed to walk in, so walk in them. Right? That's the purpose of God for you right there. You're His workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared the good works before the world was ever created for all of us to walk in them. Do you realize that once you are saved, you fit into a larger purpose? It's bigger than you are. The sad reality is that initially, when we come to Christ, listen up folks, no distractions. When we come to Christ, at first, we don't have a problem with this. We realize that we're small and He's big. We're okay with that. But as we begin to live the Christian life, we forget that. You become bigger, and in your eyes, God becomes smaller. Then we're messed up. Right? Then we have churches of me, and not churches of Christ. And so we forget that we've been called to serve the purpose of God in our own generation. We can easily develop into me-centered Christians. Now, how do those terms even go together? How can you even put me together with Christianity? It's an oxymoron in the Bible, isn't it? To say that anything that God does for us, how in the world can that turn around and develop into me-centered theology or me-centered life? How can those terms go together? According to the scripture, this would be an oxymoron. Don't lose sight of the purpose that God saved you. Don't lose sight of why the grace of God saved you to begin with. It's to serve His purpose. The glory of the gospel is not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Let that sink in, because I know you've been told that. But the glory of the gospel is that God loves you in spite of yourself. And by His grace, you can fit into His plan. Not your plan, but by grace, you can fit into His plan. Even though you were dead in trespasses and sin, and Romans 5, 6 says you were unlovable, God loved you in spite of yourself, saved you and fit you into His purpose, so your life can be part of this purpose. That's awesome. You stay the same size, and God stays the same size. We need to get this straight, don't we? He's God, and we're not. A servant mentality. Is one of the hardest things to maintain in Christian living, isn't it? Folks, let's be honest. It's hard to stay on track to this service mentality because the natural state of man is to want to cling to being served. Or, what can the church do for me? If there's one thing that I would do differently as a father, and some of you who have not yet had children need to listen up. If I could start over with my children, guess what? I'm not starting over, okay? <laughs> I would emphasize more regularly and consistently that you kids are servants. We often treat them like they are the center of their own little universe. And then when they grow up, they still think they're the center of their own little universe. And they learn that they're not the center soon enough. Right? Well, what it means is that we've never taught our kids to be servants. Let's be honest. Would it not be great for our kids to grow up and realize that what they are called to do is to serve the living King and others? It's about serving Christ and someone else. We expect to be served, let's be honest. And our children are no different. Because we give them everything they ask for and it's their world and we're just walking through it. Let's be honest. 
We think that our will and our purpose are the most important things in life. How else do you explain how people today, how many times have I heard people sit in my office and say, oh, I'm just disappointed with God. Or I'm just disappointed in this church. Why are you disappointed? Well, I have this need and this need and people just aren't friendly and they're just not serving me. You know why? Because our mentality is serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. And we got our theology turned over on its head. You, 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 you're messed up. My, my staff loves this word. We use it in the South. You're ganked up. All right? You got your understanding flawed because you don't realize why God saved you to begin with, folks. Again, here Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. That's why God served you. Not to ask the question, how can I be served, but how can I serve? It's getting quiet in here. But this is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. No questions about it. And then people start saying, preacher, the people just don't love me. They don't love me. Look, folks, if you wear a chip on your shoulder, for most of you, you knock it off just so you can get mad. But even if we knock it off, if you hang around here long enough, you're going to get your feelings hurt. But the question has to be, why are you here? Why are we here? What are we here for? It's to serve the purpose of the Lord. This is the joy of the Christian life, by the way, and this is why so many young people are bored with God. And folks, if you're bored with God, I don't have another option for you. There are no other options if you're bored with God. You're in trouble. But that's why our kids often are so bored, because they're not fulfilled. You know why? They're not serving God. Your service to the Lord is inextricably connected to your conversion. Not that your service saves you, but if you're saved, you're going to serve. And even the joy of your life is connected to your service. Try me on this, and you'll see what I mean. I've talked to many people, 85 and 90. I've buried many folks who gave that testimony at the end. Wish I'd have served the king more. Wish it had been more about the Lord and less about me. The psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents with the wicked. Amen! Scared somebody, right? Isn't that awesome? I mean, you got all the plush things in the homes of a lot of the most famous people in the world. And the Bible's not as kind. It just causes them wicked. Right? I'm kind of saying, you know, here's a, a comparison between the things uh, that we would do for the Lord, even if it's a doorkeeper. The fact of the matter is, this is a greater joy than having all the plush luxuries that the tents of the wicked can offer. The fact that you can serve the Lord. Romans 14.7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, for we live. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. He's going to repeat the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.15. By the way, this is Paul every time, right? He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Question, what would our church look like if we all joined together with a simple mandate of what we can do to help one another? Would our church change? Would it? Simple mandate to serve one another. Would it change? Who can I serve? Who can I help? What can I do? Can I hold the door? For God's people? Can I visit the sick? Would it change? Can I help with VBS? Can I help with mops? Can I invest in the women, in the lives of women who may not know the Lord, but yet come to this church? Woo! Isn't that a good opportunity to serve? Can I, can I do some of those things? 
What would our church look like if we all had a renewal of servanthood? What would our homes look like? How can I better serve my spouse, men? Women, you're not off the hook. How can I better serve my spouse, women, to the Lord? How can I serve them? How, what would our homes look like if for some out of the extra, extraterrestrial world, our kids were to say, how can we serve mom and dad? I mean, hello? When's the last time one of you kids went to your mom and dad and said, how can I serve you? You sit here on purpose. You sit that close, you're going to get called out, right? I mean, just think about it. I mean, I think I would just pass out on the ground. Now, my, my kids do that sometimes, but there's a lot of reminding to them. But what if we were in that mode all the time? What can I do to serve the Lord? And by, doing, by serving others, you are serving the Lord. Now, it says in the text that, oh, it says in the text, our generation. Okay? I didn't put it in the point, but notice what David said, what the Bible says of David. He served God in his own generation. Here's a simple fact. You serve God in the generation where God put you. That's a simple fact. It's time-specific service in the generation you live in. It is our generation, but it's also people-specific in the generation that you live in. It's our generation. It's people-specific. It's service, so it's to people or the Lord. It's also culture-specific. It's our generation. You hadn't been called by God to serve another generation. Guess what? If you're saved and you're alive in this generation, this is the one you're supposed to serve. Right? Now, we, we say that and we think we believe it. But it's important for us to hear this. Because for some of us, we feel like Puritans, born out of due time, living in a very perverse and crooked world. And we, <laughs> and we read the Puritans and we're like, whew, all this sin is killing me. And we, we listen to them. We see the media. We see what's going on. And it's hard. And you know what we can do? We can disengage. We can have the mentality that we're not going to live for Christ in this generation. We're just going to pray that we are able to escape it. You know, really that's some of the early teachings on the rapture was due to the fact that people want escapism. God, just get me out of this world that we live in. And, you know, we're longing for that day. But you better not long for that day in such a way that you forget that God placed you here in the world but not to be of it. God placed you in this culture for a reason. It's important for us to hear this when a lot of people say, well, a preacher, it's not the glory days anymore. Ooh, no amen on that one. Well, folks, you can't hate everything new and love everything old. If you do, then you're not obeying this text. You can't hate everything new and love everything old. You're called to serve God now, not three centuries ago. You're called to serve God now, not five decades ago. You're called to serve God now. Please remember, we serve our generation by the standards of the Word of God. We don't serve it by conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. With that said, you, you engage this culture by believing the Word of God while you do this. You can't become idolaters of the past, and you can't become perpetual haters of the new. And we often do that in the church, don't we? We're guilty of that. 
You're called to serve God right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, in April of 2018, right here in Ozark, Missouri. If you're saved today, that's what you're called to do. As far as sin and rebellion goes, there's no better way. You can't categorize glory days 20 years ago no more than you can today. Because there was just as much sin back then as there is today. may have been a little more covert or overt, but the fact of the matter is, can we really ever say that those were the glory days? Because sin abounded then too. Just like sin abounds today. And God calls you to live right now in the generation that you're in. What is it to serve the Lord in our generation? Well, it certainly means there are stages of our lives, from childhood from, uh, to adulthood to senior adulthood. Those are stages. And we see in David's life that he certainly served the purpose of the Lord. But what about the ordinary things of life? We have to say that, yes, that means we serve the Lord through our work. We serve the Lord through parenting, being students at Ozark High School or wherever you are, and being churchmen. We serve the Lord. And if you're serious about serving the Lord in your generation, then the ordinary things of life will make, a, will make sense, will make a difference. You will think that, yes, even the ordinary things of life before God is very important. How can we ever expect to shine brightly over in Guatemala if we're not shining brightly to our neighbors? If we're not living these things out today, we should take the ordinary things seriously so that God gives us areas, more areas of service. We're also called to leave a legacy to the next generation. Ordin- phases of life, yes. Ordinary things of life, serve God, yes. But what about that legacy? Effective service to God in this generation will leave a good legacy for the next generation. Many of us are going to be gone very soon. Right? We just are. We're going to be gone very soon. We're going to get older, and we're going to move off the scene. We're going to leave something behind. Will it be a model of faithfulness with a legacy of service? Or is it going to be just a heap of ruins that other people have to filter through and repair what we've left behind? Which one's it going to be? As believers who have a very big vision of God, We ought to have a big, multi-generational vision of this church. Hello, right? The day is coming when I won't be able to walk up those stairs like I just did to preach the Word. And I hope the leadership has enough integrity to say, we love you, Pastor, but we want you to sit right there on the front row and smile. (laughs) Pastor Emeritus, whatever you want to call me, I'll gladly sit right there and smile. And you remind me to this day. Maybe there'll be coming a day soon when I I can't preach with any coherent thoughts whatsoever. And when that happens, praise God, I'm done. I'll sit well. I'm not done serving, but as long as I have breath, I'll do something. But I'll sit right there beside Brother David. Me and you might be minister of music emeritus and pastor emeritus. We'll just sit there and smile together. (laughs) Right? And we will. Because nobody's indispensable. Cemeteries are full of people who thought they were indispensable. Right? God has a plan for your life, and when he finishes it, and that's the next point, but faithfulness and legacy in our service to multiple generations. Leadership. Again, you very well may do my funeral right here at this church. My kids may get up and read a eulogy. And the question is not going to be, the question is not going to be accolades of importance to God of what I accomplished. The most important thing is going to be what kind of legacy did I leave to my children? And to my church family. That's what's going to matter most. When your kids stand up, possibly, and read a eulogy, 
What's it going to be? Have you effectively served the purpose of God in your generation in such a way that you've left a legacy to them and to the next generation? David had a ripple effect of providential uh, workings that went all the way down to the text of Scripture to this day when the sermon is preached and you will have the same thing. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, so therefore walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You fit into a family, fathers. You have an awesome responsibility. You fit into a family, mothers. Sons and daughters. You fit into a family. And your ultimate call by God if you're saved is to serve His purpose where you are. Guys and gals, you fit into a workplace. You fit into a workplace with a lost world with lost people around you every single day. Are you going to serve the purpose of God? You fit into a church body. Are you serving the purpose of God in this church body? You older kids, you got a responsibility to the younger kids. you got a responsibility to those little ones in this church. God help us. Who do we want our models to be? LeBron James? I mean, really, who do we want our models to be? We want the models to be young people in this church who live for God and made an example to the younger ones who looked up to you. Right? That's what we need. Lest I remind you that Jesus said, unless you cause one of the least of these to stumble, you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean. It's a serious thing to live out the gospel with purpose. You've got a responsibility. I know what you got. I was a youth member. When I was 16 or 17, when, when one of them ran up to me, I'm like, mm, get back, you little nerd, right? We, we think that they're nerdy and they're disconnected and they're weird and they're little. Yeah, they are, but they're Christ ones, right? They're little kids that are going to be looking up to you. You've got to make an impact. Stop long enough to make an impact on those. You're making one whether you know it or not because they're watching you. We all have a responsibility. Fathers to fathers, mothers to mothers, husbands to husbands, wives to wives. You fit in and you have a responsibility and you are accountable to God for that responsibility. Some of you are at the age where you ought to be teaching the younger women how to love their husbands. Titus chapter 2. Notice it doesn't say take a trip to Branson. When you turn 65, don't buy a motorhome and go off to Branson. Stay away from our church for six months. That's not what God called you to do. God called you older women to teach the young women how to live, love their husbands. You can't do that off in Branson every weekend. Hello. I mean, it's true. You can't do that. But God asked the older women to teach the young women how to love their husbands and your children. We all get so absorbed in our stuff, don't we? Serving the purpose of God in your generation could be going to the darkest, darkest, distant place known to man, and sharing Jesus with them. It could be. God may raise up some teenagers who, and young people who are going to serve the purpose of God in their generation by going overseas. But it may be for many of you, it's just being what God has called you to be right where you are, right here in this community, being an effective witness. For others, it may be just have the guts to stand up at Ozark High School and honor Jesus. It may be just to have the guts to stand up at your workplace and honor Jesus. Right? It may be, you may be the only person in this church that believes that God can send revival to this church. Keep believing it. Right? 
keep living in such a way that it can happen. You're going to one day realize uh, that if you succumb to this world, that you really hadn't influenced anyone. You've been the one that's been influenced. I know the fact of the matter is, we have uh, young people sometimes who say, well, I'll do it in the future. I'm 20 or I'm 30 and maybe next year. No, you won't. You won't. Anesthetized so bad to the conditions you will never change. You won't. You'll just go along with the culture. Daniel went to U of B, University of Babylon. And you know what he said? I'm not going to deal with the frat parties. I'm not going to drink the king's wine nor eat the king's food. I'm going to serve the purpose of God. God raised up some Daniels. Amen. Amen. All right, last point. Whew. Did you think I could preach that long on one verse? <laughs> some of you people are like, whoo, thank the Lord that preacher is only going to preach on one verse. All right, here's the end. We will die when our service is done. Don't you love this? He served the purpose of God in his generation and he fell asleep. Well, to fall asleep is a euphemism for death, right? So the body goes into the grave, but the spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And we're awaiting, because of Christ's resurrection, that's expounded in chapter 13, we're awaiting that bodily resurrection, but when our service is done, we will die. I don't think we ought to be sad about this. When your service is over to the king, you're going to die. I think that brings some confidence, doesn't it? It brings some confidence that if you're busy serving God's purpose, you are invincible and immortal until God gets through with you. That gives me tons of confidence, right? Think about it. We think about Jim Elliott, where people in the 50s, I read articles, said, this was, guy was a nut. Why in the world would you go to this savage tribe, give the gospel, and die on a beach or on a riverbank getting speared to death? Why would anybody do that? Well, Jim Elliott wrote this before he went. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott had good theology. And you know what happened? When God allowed Jim Elliott to die... God took him home, and his service was over. Billy Graham lived to 99. One, mind, one more year, or I don't know how much, he would have been 100. God wanted Billy Graham to live to be 99. He served the purpose of God, but Billy Graham died. Adoniram Judson, David Brainerd, all these missionaries died. 29, David Brainerd, I think if I'm not mistaken. I mean, th these guys died early. Does the length of years have anything to do with the purpose of God? No, sir. No, ma'am. You serve the purpose of God. You know what it means? It means that you can take risks for Jesus and be bold. When you know that if you're serving Him, and you're serving His purpose, and when He's through with you, you're going to die, you can serve a God who doesn't take risks. You can risk yourself for Him. Why? Because God doesn't take risks. He's sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows it all. So when is the last time you did something simply by trusting God for His purpose in your life? When's the last time with reckless abandonment you said, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to risk this for you because you're worthy of it? Just like the woman who came with her hair and with that nard that was so expensive and she poured everything she had out with reckless abandonment. Jesus said, there's a memorial for you that will be remembered forever because of what she poured out with reckless abandon for Jesus. When's the last time you did it. This doesn't mean that you'll go off to Africa and eat, drink unfiltered water. Okay, when I say take risks, that's not what I'm talking about. But it does mean that you're going to trust God as you serve the purpose of God. 
in your generation. So, are you wasting your life? John Piper's written a good book I'd like for everybody to read. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. It would do all of you a benefit to pick that book up and read it. Don't waste your life. The fact of the matter is, you're going to waste your life if you live solely for the American dream and wait till you get your gold watch. If you do, you're going to waste your life. If all you're doing is living to accumulate wealth so that you can retire and go anywhere you want to go and do everything you want to do, you're missing it, folks. I promise you, you're missing it. What a waste. I think we ought to have a whole army of retired people that are bombarding the mission field with the gospel. You say, preacher, you've lost it. I might be a nut, but I'm screwed on the right boat, right? <laughs> I am. Listen, people who are retired, doesn't mean you go over there and live. But there ought to be short-term mission trips, even among our retired people, the ones of us that are healthy. Get up and get over there and share the gospel. Amen? I don't, you're looking at me strangely, like I've lost it or something. No, folks, uh, you serve the purpose of the Lord. Don't squander these years. Young people, if the only reason you're going to do your degree in, in college is so that you can make the most amount of money with the least amount of effort, you better rethink that. We live in a day when that's what, if that's your only desire is to go to college to make a bunch of money, you're missing it. You're absolutely missing it. The question ought to be, God, what can I do to make the most impact for Jesus and serve you in your purpose? Yeah, it may be as a doctor. It may be as a dentist. It may be as a preacher. It may be as a lawyer. It may be whatever menial task God calls you to do. We serve the purpose of the Lord. But the first thing we shouldn't be thinking about is money. We ought to be thinking about the purpose of God. What is that purpose? If that's the case, young people, and you're only thinking about what you're going to make, I pray all your professors will have amnesia. And forget everything they're going to teach you. You're welcome. Right? Whew, I've had fun preaching this. All right, we need a renewed zeal, don't we? We need a renewed zeal at this church to serve the purpose of God in our generation. That's all I'm saying this morning. But I had to preach in order for you to understand that. Serve the purpose. Joy in life. And isn't this awesome? He fell asleep. The KJV says, by the will of the Lord, he fell asleep. Isn't that awesome? When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Life. Remember that, Blake? Come on. You're older. But there was, a, you remember that game Life? It was the neatest thing. You open up the box for your family and you got these little cars. And you got these little stick things that stick into the cars, which is husband, wife, and then children. And you, you just moved around the game of life. I mean, you're, you got your, the kids went to college and that cost you money. And you're like, Wah! But hey, the good thing about it is you could sell your kids in this game. Uh, I mean, you could turn them in and get money back. It's like, woo, yeah. But you know, you, you moved around the game of life. And it was fun and we had a, you know, you had a good time. But when it was all said and done, we, we packed up the game of life, put the box on it, put the lid on it, stuck it away. I'm telling you folks, right here in this, right here in this auditorium from, for a lot of you, there's going to be a box here one day and you're going to be in it. The game of life is going to be over as you know it this side of heaven. And the only thing that's going to matter is what you've done for Christ. Father, we thank you for the purpose of grace. God, thank you that you saved my soul, Lord. But you didn't save me in order for me to serve self. 
but to serve you. And Lord, I look back over the phases and stages of my life, and Lord, yes, I can readily say I failed many, many times in serving that purpose. But God, there's been a constant in my heart and spirit that only what's done for you is going to last. I know that. God, renew my own spirit. As a husband, as a father, Lord, as the pastor of this church, and Lord, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters that are hearing this. God, would you send revival among our young generation so that there's a legacy of faith, service to God that is left. God, help us. For the person under the sound of my voice who's lost, who doesn't know Jesus, God, their purpose really doesn't begin until they meet Him, until you save them. God, I pray that you would arrest their attention. God, move on their heartstrings. Manipulate their will. God, whatever it takes to get them to understand who you are. God, thank you for grace. And Lord, I pray for salvation of souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.